<clears throat> hey Mike, your YouTube video thumbnails look like something that only a mother could love. It's fair. Hey Mike, I really like your videos. Everything except the part where you talk. Hua. Hey Mike, the sorcery market is a fugazi. Everything that is sold is because you sold it. You're pumping the market. You're pumping and dumping. I run public auctions, guys. The market decides the value of everything. But enough about me. Enough about me. <clears throat> so that's not even the point of the video. That's uh, what they call in the business the bait. But not the bait and switch per se. It was kind of funny. The only thing that was true in that little opening segment is the first comment where someone was very nice to give me some um, constructive feedback, in fact, about my video thumbnails, about how they're a little plain, a little boring. And um, I agree. You know, I could probably be more creative there and put a lot of a little more creative energy uh, into that. I should caveat that I've been sick AF for days, as the kids call it, AF. Um, so I've been sick for a few days and uh, I'm just finally getting a little better, <clears throat> a little better. Um, so, you know, the um, I was I was looking across the different discords as I do. Right. And someone brought up some interesting points, not about me. Again, a lot of people, you know, whenever you're doing something publicly, there's always going to find people that want to badmouth you and disparage what you're doing and you know question your motives and all this nonsense um and just make just make false claims about you it just it just comes with the territory um so there's nothing you can do right i accept that um but it's again this isn't gonna about about me personally it's about claims made about the project about the company that i think uh, are pretty interesting to discuss and they're hard to discuss too because it's polarizing too you know like everyone thinks i have my own biases and of course i do as a fan of the of the project and uh, I back the backstarter, so I have a vested interest. I do work with artists and um, help them promote their brand and uh, market them as an artist, as a person, and um, help them sell paintings and art proofs and, and all kinds of things, right? Um, so I do have a vested interest, obviously. Um, so, you know, just like anyone that has a vested interest in anything, you're not going to come out and highlight the negatives and talk negatively if you're, super, if you're passionate about it and you believe in it yourself. Um, you know, I've bought several paintings myself and um, the product itself. I, I've loved it since day one, since uh, beginning of Discord. I bought into the Backstarter before anything was worth anything. So if you want to call that bias, more power to you. Um, I, I call that pure, genuine passion. And you're going to see the magnitude of that as I reveal my Kickstarter um, fulfillment. All right. But we'll put that aside. Um, I was looking across the discords, discords and I noticed um, someone posted an interesting um, comment about some of their reservations about the game, to put it kindly. They're, they're strong comments, but not unfair in some ways. I think some of them are valid, and we'll get into that. We'll talk about it blow by blow. And I think um, some come from a place of maybe misinformation or lack of depth of information. Um, cause like not everybody's involved in the discord, in the Facebook, in social media at all, 
right? So they have not been privy to like updates along the way and um, some of the inside knowledge that people that are closer to the project have. So that's really the, the point of this, this video, right? To kind of reach those folks that maybe could use the information. And again, I'm not trying to convince anybody. Um, some people cannot be convinced and it's not my job to convince them. It's, it's the creators, frankly. Um, and you know, content creators are supporters. They have a role. Um, we're content creators first and foremost because we're passionate about the game, right? We want to encourage growth of the game because it makes it more fun and better for everybody. And we do have a vested interest, right? We, we want the game to do well um, because we love it and because some people sell things and you, you, we just want it to survive and do well. I mean, I first loved it because it's like the greatest art project I've ever seen in my life. And that's okay to say about a game that you play as well. I mean, the aspect of it being an art project and probably literally the best I've ever seen um, is enough to just love it and, and be true and genuine authentic about it. All right, um, so these comments, you know, I thought were representative of a lot of the um, feelings that um, some dissenters have across the community. So I did want to address them. I want to come to a, from a place of objectivity as best as possible, having already disclosed my biases and people are going to shit talk me and <laughs> probably try to discredit my my perspectives here. But I'm telling you, I'm trying to lay out facts. I'm trying to lay out opinions and those opinions are my own and the and they're not necessarily valid. I mean, they could be wrong, they're opinions. So that's up for you to decide. If you agree, you agree. If you disagree, that's fine too. That's just an opinion. All right, <clears throat> so they have no, oh, I'm gonna read it now, okay? This is somebody else's words. They have no go-to-market plan, no way to keep people interested between sets. They F over, they F over their first retail release by bypassing LGSs and going direct to sellers. They couldn't get distro forever because they didn't know how to F it worked. Hua. For $4 million on Kickstarter, they have half-assed just about everything. Hua. All right, then it gets into a list of arguments, but I want to take it from the top first, kind of break it down. They have no go-to-market plan. Well, right off the bat, I strongly disagree. Now, I do wholeheartedly disagree that we know very, very little about the go-to-market plan. And that's problematic, you know, for a lot of people, for stores that want to take the risk of carrying an indie startup, a lot of stores won't even do that at the Kickstarter stage. Um, so they'd be taking a leap of faith, um, I believe, in, to some respect. Um, sure, you got confidence from the Kickstarter, that shows some serious demand. And $4 million of product sales is not just speculation. Even if it's heavy speculation, $4 million is such a substantial number that there is certainly um, genuine interest in this project. I think there are art collectors, board game players, unconventional market segments that you would think of, that you would not immediately associate with a conventional, and when I say conventional, a conventional TCG, like a magic, um, you know, like a, a game that's not grid-based. Uh, it's turn-based, but it's not grid-based, right? Um, something like MTG or something that plays similar to MTG. It's not, it's not exactly that, right? It's a little different. I think you have the art segment because the art is so unique. Um, it's all hand-painted traditional. It's That's a massive differentiator, right? Then you have the board game aspect of it because it is grid-centric, but I'm going off on a tangent a bit there. Um, no go-to-market plan. So I agree with you. We do not uh, know what that is in kind of great detail. It would be beneficial to the market stakeholders, especially investors and collectors and stores, I think, to have a better understanding of that 
and um, I think they will with time. Um, so we are taking a risk here and trusting something that we believe in in our hearts for those that are heavily invested in it. Um, but I do not think that they do not have a plan. Um, I think that is kind of unfair and discredits um, just the experience that the game creator has, quite frankly. He's a very successful entrepreneur and entrepreneurs do not launch business initiatives without a plan. It is extremely customary, if not um, absolutely essential before launching any kind of entrepreneurial endeavor to, a, to at least not have a five-year roadmap, five-year business plan, right? Um, so I full-heartedly trust that Eric has that, likely in writing and in great detail, all right? Um, so that's just my perspective on that one. No way to keep people interested between sets. So again, not entirely true. Again, we don't know that plan. We've seen glimpses of it perhaps with the, a mini set that has been announced, a 10, 10 card mini set done by Ed Beard Jr. as the artist, very accomplished, extremely accomplished artist with a great vision um, for what these 10 cards are uh, thematically, right? And that might be a bridge between the sets. And that's just only one aspect that we even know of, right? So we can't rush to judgment on that. A lot of this is gonna be about a leap of faith of sorts until we know information, more information, right? Um, and that's fair. I think. That's, it is what it is. We just don't know what the plans are, but again, a lot of this relates to the pedigree of the creator um, and trusting that as an accomplished entrepreneur, he deserves some benefit of the doubt as, as to having a plan, right? And also in that vein, I think a strategy for communicating that plan and doing it thoughtfully and purposefully and I also want to make the point that it is very, very uncommon for most business, businesses to disclose a plan like that in any kind of great detail. There can be um, adverse consequences to doing so. Sometimes too much information is bad, just as much as too little information. So they got to navigate that balance. It is a tricky balance. Um, we've seen some companies in the TCG market in recent years be very transparent and forward leaning in that regard. And that comes with risk. And those are outlier scenarios, I think. Um, that is not common in normal business to have that much transparency and public disclosure. So um, I kind of don't blame the creators for kind of slow rolling that. And um, I do actually give them credit for really not declaring anything until deals are finalized. And maybe you could argue those deals should have been finalized sooner things like that. But I mean, Kickstarter stages are often fairly raw, you know, so we also got to kind of temper that and keep that in mind as well. All right. Um, let's see. They have to over their first retail release by bypassing LGSs and going direct to sellers. So the only <laughs> going direct to sellers, they only went direct to one seller, Team Covenant, right? Um, and they did not uh, bypass LGSs. So LGSs will have an opportunity to sell beta. They did a pre-order exclusive with Team Covenant. So they did get a couple months head start and um, they stated their reasons for that. They think that they would give them valuable market data to help them size the print run for beta, I believe. And, um, you know, I think it's flawed in some ways you know, because you're using a local U.S. retailer. Granted, the U.S. is by far the largest backer 
by massively far the largest backer of this Kickstarter. And it's very hard to launch internationally right out of the gate, especially in European markets. I mean, just look at the, the numbers of the Kickstarter alone. Even New Zealand, where the game is created, the backer, the backer number was very low. You look across Europe, it's like a few hundred here, a few hundred there, sometimes even less than that. So it's hard to convince retailers to carry the product when the numbers are low in those markets. And then you have like several thousand that backed in the US and the US just being a, the biggest market in general. And a lot of companies will focus squarely on the US before even considering launching internationally. Um, so, you know, doing the pilot in the US, I think that does make sense. You know, that is the bulk of their market. The vast, like massively large percentage of their market is in the US. So it does give them a reasonable data point, I think, for at least US demand of their largest target market. So it's logical in that sense. Um, and, you know, another, I understand other retailers are a little scorned or miffed that um, they do get that head start. They think it erodes potential business from them. Um, but it really, and it could to some extent, you know, but, um, you know, maybe not necessarily from their locals. I think their locals will still be loyal to them and buy from them. Um, if they all, if they also have an online retail presence, it could erode, erode potential market share, I guess, from um, a retail like online market. Um, but you know, if demand is strong enough, and uh, based on the Kickstarter and the excitement leading into the debut launch, um, the market may be large enough to support the same amount of sales anyway. I, I really am not that concerned. Um, as someone who has considered maybe selling boxes myself, I'm not sure if I'll go down that path or not, but, um, you know, retailers, I kind of get it both ways, but you know, they weren't cut out. They're going to get the chance. They're just going to get it a few months later. So for better or worse, pros and cons to that, certainly I, I kind of get that one. All right. They couldn't get distro forever because they didn't know how bleep, bleep, bleep it worked. <laughs> I don't know. I, how, how do you know, like what they, knew how to get to work or not. Um, you know, partnerships aren't easy. Trying to get a major distributor um, at the Kickstarter uh, stage is not trivial. Um, I think the success of the Kickstarter is super compelling. I think the size of some of the community groups is a feather in their cap that they can use with distributors and say, look, this game is serious traction. They have their own Discord, which is over 3,000 people. They have the Sorcery Contested Realm community group. This is 1,500 people, which is very significant for an indie, indie, indie TCG startup. Um, there's several other Facebook groups and Discord groups that have spawned. Um, so there's a lot of interest out there. And there's um, public sales. You know, these the auctions are relevant data points. You have sample cards that are selling for quite a bit, a lot of value. The art has incredible value. Um, and there's sales to substantiate that. There's definitely interest and there's people putting their money where their mouth is that they are not messing around with this with this game and this project. They believe in it very strongly, right? Um, so that's all good. That's all great stuff that other other um, Kickstarter stage games just simply don't have, not on that scale. So you, you can't take that away from them. All right, well now we get into the bulletized list, okay? Um, saving money by, all right, so quotation, saving money by providing a ton less, including owning zero of their artwork. So the argument is they're saving money. And one example of that is owning zero of their artwork. I, I don't even understand the point, frankly. I think that I've, I've seen this criticism about um, from some people. I had to read that a few times because I just don't understand it, honestly, I'm sorry. Um, I don't, I don't understand how you save money by not owning the artwork. Do you think that 
It is cheaper to commission artwork if you don't own the copyright. I don't think that's true at all. As in fact, I know for a fact that this this game, this creator has paid three to four X what you would pay a digital artist, um, you know, young up and coming digital artist to commission artwork. Like if you, you compare flesh and blood and sorcery, you know, you could commission digital art from an up and coming artist for a few hundred dollars for a piece and sorcery. That's going to cost you several hundred, at least, you know, like upper one hundreds, 800 plus, sometimes well over a thousand dollars, sometimes well more than that, depending on the artist, the caliber of the artist and the experience and, you know, their level of fame and accomplishment and what their, what their work is worth at that stage. Uh, you know, like an artist like Ed Beard Jr., for example, that's going to cost us a pretty penny because um, he's a very, very significant artist. Um, and not owning the artwork, I've seen that as a criticism um, as well, but this game is, is a massive art project, you know, and, and it supports artists like no other. I mean, to give the copyright to the artist, to allow them to keep that copyright is huge. I mean, that is huge advocacy for artists and it makes them very likely to want to work for you because it's extremely valuable for the artist. And, you know, I think I'm going to talk some more about this. I'm going to have Ed Baird Jr. back on the show again. Um, I believe he's willing to do so. And I want to ask him more about this, the value of the copyright and why there's this notion that it's a mistake for a creator to, to allow that artist to retain their copyright. I think that is a huge selling point to attract the best artists in the world. And his company is not going to com com compromise on that. And they're not saving money by doing that. They're certainly not. Um, that is that is not true. Um, and, you know, they don't need to monetize in that way. They can make a ton of money in many, many other ways. They don't need to own the art. They're not compromising IP to do so. Um, they have the rights to use that artwork for marketing purposes, per contracts with the artists. And, um, and that's evident. That's obvious because they, they're selling playmats with the art on it. So they're not losing revenue on playmat potential. Um, they're using it for marketing. <laughs> so we've seen evidence of it. Um, so what are they losing out on? I mean, yeah, they'll expire in 10 years, the contracts. I think the company has stated that, at least with the Frazetta license agreement. Um, no, I think it's been stated more broadly. Um, maybe that's a deal with all the artists. But so what? 10 years, guys. That's, that's a long runway. And then you're going to get a whole new cycle of artists along the way for those 10 years. Or maybe they'll re-up the contract, you know, if it's if it's serving both parties. I don't see it as a loss in any way. I see it as as tremendously great for, for the artists, for everybody, um, for other businesses to create business opportunity around the game. That's wonderful, too, because look what it's done. I mean, I've, I've been successfully able to run a lot of auctions. Um, so that's helped the artists tremendously. That's helped the market establish um, a price basis for things that otherwise wouldn't have one. Um, so you have data points now for sample cards, for the artwork itself, for paintings, for sketches, for all kinds of things. So it's helpful to everybody. It's creating value. Um, and yeah, the company is not directly benefiting, but they're intrinsically benefiting from the, the awareness that it's creating. Um, the whole market uh, benefits really from the, um, the value credibility. It shows that there's genuine value, genuine interest, and some speculative interest, which is also helps draw awareness, attention, interest from investors and collectors. All right, all printing done in China. <clears throat> so these are the negatives. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff's made in China. 
And uh, a lot of companies and TCGs print in China. And uh, a lot of companies print at other places that are having a lot of manufacturing issues, you know? Um, I saw a video recently where it was alive actually, and, and um, the, the person's channel was talking about how there have been printing issues for magic uh, serialized cards that they're putting out there. So you have these cards that are what, 500 inserts in a, in a set? Um, from what I understand, and I'm no magic um, expert, so if I'm misquoting that, I apologize, but they're special inserts that are very limited to some extent, and they're coming out with um, print issues. You know, so you'd think there'd be better print quality, print control to make sure that at least those cards got some extra QA, QC at uh, attention. And even them are struggling, you know, and they use the best, the best printers in the world. So no one's immune from this. It's an industry-wide challenge. Um, the company has put a QC, QA, QC team on site at the China factory. Again, like those that are not close to the project may not know this or plugged into all the socials. And maybe that's an argument you can make that like a lot of stuff gets said in Discord in various places. More could be said through the Kickstarter page, but a lot is said through the Kickstarter page if you guys wanna go check there. Even if you didn't back the project, I believe that's all publicly available. Um, the frequently asked questions and community comments and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, they, maybe there's a better way they could push it out more broadly. That's fair, that's a fair criticism. Um, but yeah, printing, printing is a problem all over the place. And um, we'll see. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment on China, China until I see the product. I saw the Alpha Precon cards. I showcased those on my channel and they were phenomenal quality. I was super impressed and they were a lot better than the sample cards. So I think, um, you know, they upgraded the, the printing equipment at the factory. They mentioned that they themselves invested in that factory <coughs> to help them upgrade their equipment. And I think it shows, it really shows in those cards. So again, let's just see when it comes out in alpha. I'm sure it'll be, it won't be perfect, but no printer is perfect right now. Every single TCG has its problems. We don't get uh, PSA 10s, BGS 10s popping out of the pack every time. And even that variability is a positive for people that grade cards and want to create a premium from grading cards. As long as it's not, it's not all jacked up holistically, um, you'd expect some variability. It's a nature of printing at mass scale. That's going to happen. Um, but I don't, I don't want to say that China itself is a problem. I want to, I want to wait for the product to come out and then judge my opinion. You think whatever you want. All right. Having basically no foils so they don't have to pay for the plates. No foils. So every single card has a foil variant. That was my first reaction. And to be fair to this comment, um, the person explained that he had heard like a, just kind of a one-liner on, on a YouTube channel saying that there was only one to two um, foils per box, I think he said, or something like that. Um, so that's what he meant by basically no foils. I, I think he, he didn't mean like in general. Um, it was more about the pull rate or distribution. So to clarify, every single card in the set does have a foil variant. There's lots of foils. Um, so the point about it, the reason why they don't have it is to pay for the plates. I think that was more so where he, I guess he's making the claim that they're so rare and limited. Um, they did that as a cost saving measure because uh, it's, it's, it's more expensive to print foil variants. Um, so yeah, the, the one to two, um, so the, the foil pull rate is one in four packs. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's a good balance, right? And we talked about this. I was kind of conversing with this person back and forth. 
<clears throat> and I said, I don't think it's a good idea to have a foil on every single pack because that really dilutes it and makes it not valuable and it removes the chase. The point of the foils is to create a cho uh, chase to resonate with modern sensibilities. So initially, Eric didn't want to do any foils whatsoever because this is supposed to be a throwback to 90s era, um, golden era of TCGs, so to speak. And um, yeah, initially he wasn't going to do foils. So he did decide to do foils. He decided to do a lot of foils. But he decided to make the pull rates reasonably rare, one in four packs. And yes, it's going to be a lot harder to get the uniques, but that's the chase element, right? So you'll get plenty of... Um, you know, you get a reasonable amount of ordinary foils and exceptionals. And then elites and uniques are going to be significantly more rare to pull, I, be I believe. You know, that that's our going in assumption. We'll see once we start opening packs. Um, so I think it is a reasonable balance. And, and there you go. There's some ad additional information that, that helps. And I think we already worked that one out and, and talking back and forth. All right. And the next one says, dumbing down their pre-cons, post-Kickstarter, and making them different for dot, dot, dot reasons. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know what he means here by dumbing down their pre-cons post Kickstarter and making them different. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to skip that one because I really don't understand uh, the point. All right. Zero marketing, not an ounce. So, you know, I've talked about this one in the past. Um, they were reluctant to have a more aggressive marketing campaign because, you know, the Kickstarter was a year ago, right? And it's taken a while to come to market. And very from the very start, after Kickstarter closed, people were just hearing of the Kickstarter. You can imagine what a $4 million Kickstarter will do for awareness and publicity. It's exactly what you think. They were getting inundated with requests of how do I get this product? Where do I buy this product? And they were telling people that it wasn't available for purchase. And at that point, the Kickstarter had just closed in like early April timeframe, I think it was. And the product was not set to come out till September. Um, so their go-to-market plan and strategy was to ramp up the marketing like we are seeing now, right? We have product releasing to partners, um, to content creators that have been helpful in the project in some way. And uh, we're getting to showcase the product. And that's stage one of the strategy. And it's going to other larger channels as well that have a lot of views. So they're growing the awareness in anticipation of release and then in build up to beta where people can now go and finally buy that product. But it wind the clock back to a year ago when the Kickstarter campaign just closed and people were being told you're going to have to wait many months before you could buy anything. Um, the last thing they wanted to do was pour gas on the flames and and uh, get people all all juiced up and jazzed up and then say sorry but you can't buy anything right and they're having to turn people away and saying there's nothing to buy and that was a very bad feel for people and they that was they were feeling that in the responses and they decided that they were going to focus on delivering the best product they possibly could do the design development they needed to do which was a lot because of sample cards show that the early design development is significantly changed from the state of the game today and everyone is play testing the game and even other you know content creators and stuff that are in, more into other games but gave this one a look have generally like largely agreed that it's a it's a good game on a, on a gameplay merit right um it's a very good game and it's a very improved game too from the the raw the more raw earlier stages so you know the focus was was put there for some understandable reasons, I think. And uh, I myself was worried about the, um, I've said this before too, that I was worried about the momentum of Kickstarter really um, 
losing that momentum, right? And having that momentum atrophy over time and people losing interest. Um, but I do now better appreciate the notion that if you really, really aggressively market a product that is not ready to be sold, that is just as problematic, you know? And if you believe in your product and you can market it at a time when it can be purchased, I do believe that is a very smart business strategy, right? If you believe in your product, you believe it'll sell because the very high quality product, because the art is phenomenal, because the gameplay is phenomenal, it's innovative, it's different, it's fun, then you have nothing to worry about, right? The market will be there when you're ready to bring a great product to it. So I've come around to this idea that that was the right play and we'll see, right? That's my opinion. Again, these are opinions. Some of these are opinions. Some of these are facts. That's an opinion. I could be a jackass moron and be wrong and the game could fail two months after release, but that's my opinion. I don't think that's going to happen. All right. <clears throat> Nothing promotional for playing. Well, so there's a few things in the innkeeper pledge kit. There were 24 cards included. The champion is the name of the card and it's, um, a very fitting card it's it's going to be it's because of the art design it's like a champion with his sword um plunged down into the earth like right next to a guy you just killed it's awesome by vincent pompetti amazing artwork so that is to encourage in-store play introducing people to the game at the lgs and presumably um to be used as a prize card in the store right um so that's one promotional aspect for playing the game that encourages playing the game in the store. It encourages innkeepers. Pete, this was only available to brick and mortar stores. It encourages them to run promotional opportunities, or even if it's just like a buy a box giveaway, it's a promotional opportunity to help them sell, sell their initial product and recoup their initial investment and hopefully profit from it and hopefully draw awareness for the game and the project and help grow the game. All right, so there's that. Um, there is, at, they're gonna be at Gen Con, recently announced, they're coming in, um, what is Gen Con in August? So they're gonna be showing up there and they're gonna have a, um, a tournament there. They're gonna have a, a learn to play type segment and there's gonna be a competitive segment. And the prize for the competitive segment is an original artwork, which is a really awesome way at a major, major event like that to really catch eyeballs with an incredible original artwork by Elvira Shakarova, one of the best artists in the game. You know, they're all phenomenal, but Elvira is amazing. And um, this piece is really cool. It's called Crown of the Victor, and it shows um, the victor holding the crown, right? Just the, just the forearm, the bloody forearm holding a crown. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a perfect fitting prize. Um, the, best, the best artwork you could choose for that, in my opinion. Um, crown of the Victor. <laughs> I mean, the name says it all. The artwork's awesome. Imagine winning the first tournament um, with a guy holding the crown. You have the original painting. So people are going to look at that and they're like, wow, they're giving away an original painting? Let me go find out about this game. Oh, every single one of the 400 uh, cards are original paintings? That's something I want to learn more about, right? Um, so that's marketing. That's promotion. It's promotional. It's a major uh, a tournament and a major event. Um, that's, that's huge. That's a huge win. All right? So... It's, it's coming. Again, it's early, right? And these are good first steps, really good. All right, for some reasons, playmats aren't in their product line. So they did have playmats in the Kickstarter. 
you were able to buy it during the Kickstarter campaign, I think, or maybe it was like definitely after it closed, they offered it. Um, so there was like a follow-up opportunity and there was, I want to say like maybe eight uh, different playmat variants that were offered. Um, so it is in their product line. And they have said that they do fully intend to offer playmats again going forward if there's demand for it. And you never offer a product that has no demand for it. In TCGs, people love playmats, especially ones that are official playmats by the company, uh, especially ones with God tier art, original hand painted art. So it's in the product line. I think it's uh, pretty firm to say there will be playmats offered again in the future. All right, so there's the blow by blow. That was the last one, 32 minute video, pretty, pretty standard. Um, so again, guys, a lot of these were my own opinions. I'm bullish on the game. I'm a massive fan of the game. I'm optimistic. I demonstrated that before anyone, anything was worth anything. I backed significantly into the Kickstarter. So you, you could label me biased for that reason, but you could label me passionate, passionate about the project for that reason too. It's the only Kickstarter I've ever backed in my life, ever. Any Kickstarter whatsoever, TCG or none. So it was the project that resonated with me. It was the original artwork, honestly. The art, all right? Not the gameplay. There's nothing wrong with that. You can love a game for the artwork. You could love to collect things and, and not have gameplay be your first and primary motive. Do I want to play the game? Yes. Do I love the art above all else? Yes. Would I buy a painting before a high-end card? Probably. <clears throat> I love paintings. But I love the cards too. Um, I do want to play. You know, I look forward to playing with the tangible cards. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they're my opinions. And they come across with a favorable lens because I love the game. I love the project. I think it's like a unicorn project. I'm so excited about the art, honestly. It's just, um, it's never going to be replicated again in our lifetime. No one is going to front the money for 400 paintings before it's had the slightest little ounce of any kind of success whatsoever. That is a massive risk that 99.99999% of the world would not embark on. It won't, wouldn't have the financial means nor the risk, risk appetite to take that on. And it's amazing artwork, right? These are really accomplished artists and really balanced with really, really impressive and exciting up and coming artists. Um, so it's just phenomenal. And it's being done by an art director, uh, an accomplished art director <clears throat> that has the financial means to make it work. And he'll need to have success to keep it going for sure. Um, he can't just be pouring his own money into it forever um, for it to be a big success, certainly. So it's, it's gotta resonate, it's gotta do well, but I think it's gonna appeal to a broad diversity of markets. Um, it might not resonate to like really competitive flesh and blood players or um, certain like like MetaZoo, like other different art genres, um, or let's say like even board games, you know, that don't like the variability of um, having to pull cards in packs and stuff like that and not just being able to buy the whole set like a living card game and the incremental releases. But it, it, it doesn't have to appeal to everybody. The market's massive, um, it's diverse, uh, interests are diverse, opinions feelings are diverse i mean you don't have to please every stakeholder and you cannot and you should not you should develop a core identify what that core is know very strongly how to appeal to that core market 
and just do that. It's, it's not for everybody. I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm trying to lay out facts in my opinions. And you, hopefully this helps you guys knowing some more of the facts. Formulate your own opinion. And don't let my opinions bias you. Formulate your own opinion. And let's see when the product comes out. Let's see as the communications ramp up. Um, and that's the time to judge. It's early days, very early days. All right, guys, long video. Thanks for hanging in there. I'll be feeling better soon. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care.